Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. Good morning, good morning. How are we doing today? How are we doing today, church? It is a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. The whole world may move. The whole world may present us with questions. And it is good to fellowship with those who share this same hope. There's a foretaste of deliverance. I absolutely adore that hymn. If you bear with me, I would like to read a verse. Come behold the wondrous mystery, Christ the Lord upon the tree. In the stead of ruined sinners hangs the Lamb in victory. See the price of our redemption, see the Father's plan unfold, bringing many sons to glory, grace unmeasured, love untold. There's a beautiful reminder of the great mystery that is revealed through Christ. And as we live in a world where, I don't know about you, but I might have had a few people stab me in the back. I've had a few individuals make promises that break them. I have made promises to people. And I have broke them. And yet God is the true promise keeper. And in Him we can have great confidence in what He has promised to us will not only come true, but we can have our prayer be that let His promises be our delight. If you've joined us for a couple of weeks, then you know we have been preaching through Ephesians. If you would like to turn or open up your Bible app to Ephesians chapter 3, I will be reading from the ESV version. At least I think it is the ESV version. My name is Matt, by the way. I'm the 225 BSB Dragon Battalion Chaplain, Warrior Brigade, 2nd Brigade. We're going to be starting in verse 14. Now understand the context here. We must remember that the church of Ephesus is within the philosophical lion's den of the Roman Empire. Individuals would come and make their living out of just debating and discussing life, philosophy, and so forth. And Paul had a very successful ministry, and he's writing to this church. But this section from verse 14 through 21 is a prayer. It is a prayer for the believers there, and therefore, as we all are connected by one church, as Brother Dan preached last week, though there may be many parts, there is but one head, there is but one hope, there is but one life. This prayer is for us as well. So please follow with me. Starting in verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Verse 16 that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through the, His Spirit in your inner being. Verse 17, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts 
through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the, and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Verse 20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Pray with me. Father God, you have indeed provision this day to happen and let it be a day to bring you glory and honor. For you have been with your people for generations to come and have promised to be with the generations in the future. And Lord, I pray that you grant us the ability to understand your word, but importantly, respond well to it. That you are an everlasting God. And that you do not just provide your church and the believers of your gospel a mere crutch to go through life on, but your strength through your truth reminding us that we are in desperate need of your Son, Jesus Christ, as our Savior. And that you are with us for all of our days. And Lord, we pray for a rekindled joy of your salvation and confidence through it. And in your son's name do I pray, amen. We see that Paul begins, verse 14, the same reason he begins chapter 1, I'm, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul. We see in verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Now, what does it mean by for this reason? We have to understand the fact that Paul is making a conclusion here. That there's two parts of the book of Ephesians. The first is a theological poem. Is a theological poem, the first three chapters of who God is, what God has blessed His church with, and the abundant knowledge that is desired for His church to know of Him. Not of all the other things. Not of all the what-whats and the what-ifs or the should-ofs or the could-ofs, but those three things. And then the following three chapters of Ephesians is, okay, how do we go about and live in this world? Next week, Brother uh, Joshua is going to pre preach about the importance of unity of the church. And here Paul is saying, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Now if you want to quickly understand what this reason is, look at verse 9 of chapter 3. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for, for the ages. Paul's purpose and reason for writing this in his entire ministry is to bring light into a dark place and understanding of the plan of God. 
And we have come to our first point when we realize this. When Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. The very first point to our message today is that you have been given a name that has been blessed so that you might be confident. So that you might have confidence. So that you can go through life with a great confidence of what God has done in your life and he has bestowed upon a name on his people. And this name is precious. This name is redeemed. This name is not you, the one who grew up with this type of upbringing, you, the one who grew up in Redneckville, or you big city folk. This name that he has given to you is beloved by God. For once you had no name. Once you were not my people. But now I call you my people. Once you were far off, as Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2. Once you were far off, once you were removed from the promises of God, and now you are close. Now you are within the fold of what God has promised. You have been given a name. Beloved, do you believe that God has redeemed your life? This is the prayer that Paul is writing. This is the hope and desire of Paul so that the church, who again was in the philosophical line instead of the Romans, of the Romans Empire, could stand with great assurance that they were completely different than the rest of the world. To be given a name has to do with identity. Everybody say identity. identity. Now, ironically, I have two, I have three kids, technically. The third one has not been born yet. The first two, Eleanor and Griffin, we did not know the gender. We were going to be like all surprised, you know, day of, like, you know, people used to do for thousands of years. And so we had names, you know, okay, well, if... If the child's a boy, this. If the child's a girl, this. We were ready. Baby pop out, boop. Name. We have a name for you. This third child, we call the child Baby Gus. You know, everybody has like a womb name, you know. And we know the gender. We decided, ah, we've done this thing two times before. If baby has not come yet, we know the gender. We have no name for this child yet. We're thinking, well, maybe, maybe Riley, maybe Paige. I want to name the child after my grandmother, Juanita. But Dana's like, no. <laughs> a name is important. As a youth ministry, as a youth minister for years, I would give a name to my students. And it was a nickname. And when that child was going to graduate from high school, I would reveal the meaning of that name. In the military, I do the same thing. When the Harrisons 
PCS, I will explain to their boys why do I call Micah cucumber and Luke comma. It's for no apparent reason why I give a nickname except for known by me. Beloved, God has given you a name that is known by Him so that you can be set apart and holy from the rest of the world. To be given a name is so special in the Jewish and Greek community. Matter of fact, it was Jewish culture that a child would not be born till eight days after the birth to simply observe the child. Unless God told you what to name the child, and that's how sometimes you get these weird names in the, in the Old Testament, like, my goodness, that child was picked on. Had that been, feel bad for that child. You have been given a name that has been blessed so that you might be confident. I will tell you this, I found it very interesting that if you go back to verse 1, let's read that again, let's read it slowly. For this reason, I bow my knees, praying before the Father, from whom every family... Now, wait a minute. Notice how it says family. It does not say every name. It does not say every person. It says every family. Isn't that interesting? The word family here in Greek is commonly associated and draws its, its root from the Greek word patria. In the chaplain corps, our motto, our crest says, for God and country. And yet literally, if you were to translate it directly, for God and the Father. Family. Father. Men who are married and men who are married with children. You have a tremendous influence on your family. God has given you a name to be the father of your children in a time where fatherhood has been undermined, mangled, and I may get in trouble for saying this, but dare I say, castrated. Men, you have been given an immense amount of influence and responsibility to be fathers, to be leaders of your household, and to have great influence over your family, and importantly, the community that God has placed you in. There was a study done in all places, Sweden, that came out that said that if a father was a regular attendant of church, even if the mother never showed up, the children were 60% more likely to attend church. This is in Sweden. All studies show that if the father is intentionally engaged in the family and in the lives of the children. Understand this applies to you who have no kids. Okay? 
your own children and the children around you in your community are over 70% less likely to engage in substance abuse and dramatically more sociable, confident, and willing to be challenged. I do not think it is for any reason that Paul dictates the reality of family in this passage. That it takes great leadership to be a father. It does not imply that you have to quote Bible verses day and night to your children. It does not imply that you have to do a teachable moment every single second of your child's life. But if you make faith an important priority in your life, it will have dramatic effects on generations to come. I say that because of how Paul continues his prayer in verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner being. Other translations will say in the inner man, your conscience, your soul. I think again that in the time that we are living in, we need strong leadership in the church and the families today. It is only a recent occurrence that the stereotype of teachers were that they were women. It's only within the, the last hundred years. Matter of fact, the pivotal moment came during the Industrial Revolution. It was expected for the fathers to be the primary teachers of not only the children in their family, but the children of the community. That was the expectation. So the application is this. Fathers, what and how are you teaching your children about God? You have been given a name, and that name is Dad, and that name is Father. What, therefore, are you teaching with great confidence that the Lord will provide you the wisdom and the knowledge to do so? We need it. I need it. I need to be reminded that I need my inner being to be strengthened by God's Spirit, not my own. Because I will fail my children. And the first lesson that I teach my children is how a godly man loves a woman. That is the first thing that they observe. Our daughters need to see this. And our sons need to see this. It was a beautiful reminder of this past Friday when we had our, our uh, monthly Battle Rhythm event of movie night. PWOC had an overlapping event. And what happened? The mothers did their little thing. The fathers brought their kids here. And what did I see so many of the dads do? Talk to each other. Encourage each other. Build community with each other. Dads, I'll tell you, when we are engaged with our children, it is amazing to see what happens. Let's say you are a man who is single. Are we praying that your hearts are being led so that one day you may love accordingly? 
teach accordingly? And are you volunteering your time as being part of this community to leave a positive, lasting role model influence on the children through Awana's, through Children's Church? We have several young men and young women doing that. Now, this does not undermine the role and the influence of the mother. Don't get me wrong with that. You'll be like, well, he only talked about the dads. I will tell you this. Men, we need to encourage each other to teach our children the great love that God has for us. And if you don't know how to do that, that's okay. Because neither did I when I was a single person. But the question is, is that are we seeking the one who has this abundant riches? Are we seeking the one that can strengthen us? Or do we say in wishful prayers, Oh, Lord, help me just not fail. Or do we pray, Father God, strengthen me so I may stand firm on the faith. You have been given a name that has been blessed so that you might be confident in the world around you. And it is my prayer and it is our prayer as a church that you will grow in that confidence of the redeeming work of God. We live in an impatient world. I want you to follow, fall down with me on verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we might ask. Now look, according to the power at work within us. It is not saying that we are constantly being saved. It's not what it's saying. It's saying that we have been saved, but the work of God is continuing inside of us. To quote a fancy theological word, it's called the process of sanctification. Growing to righteousness, growing in wisdom, growing in understanding of how to live in this world, and dying to sin, dying to being tempted. Though we may know, oh, I see temptation. We can grow in wisdom to spot that friction point before it happens. And so, beloved, I will give you this encouragement, man or woman, beloved by God, know this. God not only did do a great work, but he is continually working. But we must have the patience from him to see it being worked out. <coughs> Point two. <clears throat> this is so that each of us may comprehend all, importantly grow in a fully under, fuller understanding of God and all that he provides. Let's read this in verse 17. This again, he concludes what he was saying in previous verses. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. To be able to comprehend something, it means that we mentally know. We can mentally understand. We can mentally figure this out. Who here has gone through some sort of test and all you did was just memorize the answers? You know, some of y'all is called BLC. 
<laughs> Some of us, it's through school, you know. Just put C down on all the bubble sheets and you're going to get a passing score. Who here loves history? I love history. Unfortunately, history is taught like this. These are dates. These are names. Memorize what happened. And now let's move on. It is easy to memorize something, correct? For some people, you might memorize through conversation. You might memorize by somebody writing it down. You might memorize or learn by watching something, observing somebody. And of course, there's a note card thing. And other people cannot remember how to memorize. And so you've stopped. Try. But this isn't what Paul is saying is not to memorize God. It's not just, he's not encouraging us to memorize Scripture for the sake of memorizing Scripture. It's to grow as what he says at the end of this with all the fullness of God. It's not to memorize answers like, well, tell me how you're a Christian. Well, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And now he rose from the third day, and I'm going to heaven. It's to realize, man, I was heading towards damnation. My best thought, my best intention was never good enough. I worked really hard, but still, I was so far from getting it. It's not just to memorize people in the Bible for the sake of memorizing. Going back to point one about giving a name, my family has been practicing the Jewish Shabbat meals on Friday, and there's a time some of you have joined us with it. There's a part when the father or the mother, if she's present, and, and the father isn't, would lay their hands on the child and say, may you be like... Esther, may you be like John, may you be like Joshua. And it wasn't just to memorize the characters of the Bible as if they were part of some sort of screenplay. It was to know how God worked in those individuals' life and requesting the same blessing on your own children. This is so that each of us may comprehend all that we have a deeper understanding of what it means to have the strength of God rather than our best intent. This is understanding that if God was just the God of comfort through our grief, but not the God of salvation, he becomes nothing more than a band-aid. If he was just the God of salvation, but does not provide comfort through our grief, then why should we ever go to him during our times of living in the valley. If he was the God who gave us joy, but not the understanding of what joy was, it is like as if we were trying to figure out a lesson and we wouldn't be able to fully 
understand it. If God it would be the God of gifts and talents through salvation, but not grant us the wisdom of how to use the gifts and talents, then we are nothing but individuals casting pearls to swine. If God was just the God of wisdom, but not of gifts and talents, how then could the church operate in the world that we do? If our God was just a single focused God, why would we come here? If it wasn't for the fact that God has saved and redeemed all manners of our life. We're living in a day, I'm going to try to write a white paper that says the fallacy of stupid thought. Or something like that. The, the great impact and influence of stupid people. And the reason why I say that is because there's a growing trend. Perhaps I'm going to name the title, The Fallacy of Incomplete Theology. We're living in a time, especially in the military, raise your hand if you've ever heard this term, work-life balance. That is by far the most incomprehensible idea to everyone ever created. That statement right there holds absolutely no weight, no measure of intellect. How can we say we must balance work and life. That is like saying that the two oppose each other. That if I have a work, if I'm successful in my work and my job, I cannot have a life. And if I have a successful life, I cannot be professional at work. And yet God has called us to say, I have created you to work. What does Paul say in Colossians? Whatever you do, do for the glory of God. That God has redeemed our ability to work for His glory. And therefore, and the point of me bringing that in is because I believe we as Christians try to input and influence God through a single dimension. A single aspect of our life. And yet, God has told us told me, revealed to me through salvation, through the study of His Word, that I cannot be a good chaplain without God in the midst of it. If I was a commander, I could not be a good commander unless God was in the midst of that. If I was a good father, I cannot be a good father unless God is in the midst of me being a parent, husband, fill in the blank. And yet we live in a world that we're like, well, I have to focus on work now. Now I have to focus on family now. I have to focus on education now. I have to focus on this rather than being intentional of realizing that God should be in all of it. When Paul says to be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, this is what he says, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses what? Knowledge. That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. I will tell you, beloved, those of you who are depressed, feel overlooked, belittled at work, God can redeem that area in your life. If you feel a burden of being a parent, if you feel like, man, whatever I do, my child still screams. Whatever I do, my child is still disobedient. If you feel that weight of being a good and faithful and righteous parent or spouse, I will tell you, God can redeem your relationship. God reveals His love 
through all facets of our life, not just, well, God made me happy. God, I just, man, if God could only make me happy. Yes, God can bestow great amounts of joy in your life. But he does it in all facets. But yet if we try to fit God into one area, everything breaks down. So instead of viewing life and work as polar opposites, how about we view life through the lens of God and everything that's filled in it? Work, family. How do I uphold morality and ethics? as a leader, as a man, unless God is redeeming my thoughts, my heart. I challenge you to think that I can't. It's a slow phase for anyone who's relying on God just temporarily, rather than having God in all facets of our life. This is so that each of us may comprehend all. Importantly, grow in a fuller understanding of God and all that He provides. God is the God of love. And through that love, we can have a vast amount of wisdom and understanding of how can I forgive somebody who has betrayed me? How can I maintain that unity? How can I remain faithful to my wife? to my husband. How? Through growing and comprehending the love that God has for us. Point number three is this. Do we pray believing He can do all and provide? Again, it's easy to memorize. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's easy to know a Bible verse, it's easy to believe, perhaps, that God can do all things. But do we pray as though He can? Let's read this again. Now to Him who is able, able, capable, to have the ability to do far more abundantly then all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us to Him be glory in the church. Notice how it says the church, His bride, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do you know, He mentions it twice. He mentions it here throughout all generations. But He also brings up this concept of being connected with the church and the history of the church in verse 18 may in verse 18 may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. Do you know that the invisible church dates back all the way back to Abraham and all the prophets of old? That you and I do not carry this ability to live in this world by ourselves. That just as prayers have been given up to God during times of great persecution, during times of great confusion, that God has operated through those times as He will today. 
And do we pray with great confidence that He will do far more abundantly. You know, I think I've shared this story with you all before and perhaps I, I, I haven't. I knew a man once who had, I always have to redo the math, seven, a family of seven. And his wife was pregnant. He, this man did not make a lot of money. His, his uh, yearly income was, was, you know, enough to be able to provide for his family. But now his wife was pregnant and so they were going to have to get an eight-passenger vehicle or something larger. And he prayed, God, 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 provide me with a new vehicle. Provide me with this. And he continually prayed. And as babies do, they grow in the womb. And, you know, it gets closer to the due date. And still no no van, no, no, you know, you hear the stories about God just providing a new vehicle out of thin air, which could certainly happen. I'm a strong believer in miracles. But he's praying specifically for a new van and a new, you know, that, that he will be able to provide for his family and not get into a, a impoverished debt. And days before the due date, without the ability of getting a, a new vehicle, he finally said a prayer, God, make a way. Provide the solution and help me see it. He was driving past the junkyard one day and he saw a van that had the exact same color. Everything was the same as his. For some reason, he felt the urge to go to it and to look inside. He didn't know why it was the same van. And lo and behold, his van that he owned had the two bucket seats in the middle row and this van here at the junkyard had the full bench. And he said, Ah! There it is. There's my answer all along. How much is that bench seat? Oh, it's only $25. And there God provided the way for eight people to sit in the van comfortably. Why do I share that? I think we get so focused on how we think the best plan should unfold rather than allowing God in all of His infinite wisdom, in all of His infinite plan to simply unfold and us praying for a willing heart to see it. The prophet Joel says, uh, uh, God speaks through the prophet Joel, I do not demand sacrifice, but obedience. Beloved, do we pray believing that He can do all and that He can provide? Or do we stop with the thought that there's no way God can redeem this situation? We live in an anxious time. We live in a time of great confusion. We live in a time where quite frankly, people are utterly hopeless. And it is my prayer that we pray with an abundant hope that just as God can, has provided His presence and has supported His church, that He will continue to do so no matter what happens in the coming few weeks. No matter what might happen, when we PCS, when we go to JPMRC, or when we do this or do that. 
My first thought when I found out that Dana was, you know, the first time Dana was pregnant, I was like all emotional. Thank you, God. Oh, my goodness. This is beautiful. The second time Dana was pregnant, I was like, okay, wow. You know, praise God. The third time, I'm like, how do we do this? And we have friends that have like six, seven, eight kids. Like, how do you do that? I just don't get it. And yet, it should be my prayer, perhaps on my knees. God, help me understand how to love my family, how to be obedient through this season of my life. As the worship band comes up, I ask you all to join me in prayer that we might have great confidence in the name that God has given to us as a redeemed people, and that we may traverse through this life with an abundance of prayer and hope that God's presence is with us. Please pray with me. Father God, You are a glorious King, and You have not called Your church to be silent. You have called Your church to be the beacons of light and the salt of the earth. And I pray, Lord, for our congregation, whether those before me are retiring or PCSing to a new location, whatever transitions are in their life, that whether they have great earthly authority and power through their position and rank, or that they may feel completely overlooked and unwanted, I pray that you remind your church, your people, that you call us beloved and that we may grow in a great confidence of what that is. That you are the provider of the joys and the happiness of life. And importantly, you are the provider of the wisdom that we need to live in this world. And in your son's name we pray. Amen.